Hello, everyone. Welcome to the last podcast for 2023. And you know, I was going to pick a very juicy topic for this, right? And today we are going to dive into what I think is a very common emotion experienced around the holidays, and that is the emotion of guilt or the feeling of guilt. And I see this in people that maybe don't visit their family often, or they live geographically far away, or maybe they see their family in a different way. In many instances, the holidays might be the only time of year that they see people year to year. So there's been a whole year of aging or changes in place and time you see somebody else. And and so guilt is really one of those things that you can carry back with you after the holidays. And that could be interacting with somebody I always have a lot of guilt that we didn't maximize or optimize the holidays for some reason. There weren't enough decorations or enough activities or somebody I forgot for a card or a present or something. And so ironically, what should be the happiest, merriest time of the year, at least according to the radio stations that play Christmas songs all the time or the messaging around the holidays can end up being a very draining and difficult experience for a lot of people. And so I I plan to do several on different emotions. Today we'll focus on guilt, but I have some other ones coming up usually negative emotions, I guess I could throw some positive ones in there as well. But let's just talk about what guilt is. So the definition of guilt, guilt is a complex emotion involving feelings of responsibility or remorse for a perceived wrongdoing. And it can stem from actions, thoughts, or even inaction that goes against your personal value system or societal norms. And so I think that's fits right into what we've been talking about a lot. And we talk a lot about guilt with respect to aging parents. And it doesn't have to necessarily be related to care, but it could be, am I spending enough time with them? Have I done enough? Am I supporting them enough? Or maybe I have guilt about supporting them too much. Like I'm spending so much time helping my aging parents that I've neglected my college age children or my younger children or myself or my health. And so the guilt doesn't just have a one-way flow. Guilt can be just a general perception that things are out of sync, again, with either your personal value system or societal norms. And it's that perception that things are out of sync or not meeting some some standard that can create this feeling of guilt. And if it is something that you carry with you, especially around the holidays, I want to take a, a small exercise and talk about actually naming it and understanding what it is. And so when I feel guilt, I kind of feel like a tightness in my in my throat, sometimes like an empty feeling in my stomach or a squeezing or cold feeling in my stomach. And and typically with the brain, when the brain creates these emotions or experiences these emotions, it doesn't have a translation for it word-wise. It doesn't say I'm feeling guilty. It will actually create a physical or somatic response of how you actually feel. So you could feel heavy, you could feel tight, you could feel all sorts of things. So I would encourage you as you're listening to this to name that emotion if you do experience guilt, which again, this is a common time of year to have that. And then talk about what your physical or somatic experience is of the guilt. And I think what another way that guilt stinks in this time of year is because we're also approaching the New Year's holiday. And New Year's is notoriously that time that you decide you're going to change your life and do things differently and eat salads every day and go to the gym every day and spend more time with people you love and spend less time at work or whatever that is. And 
And a lot of those initiatives or those decisions come from a feeling of guilt, like I'm not doing this enough or I'm not doing this well. And so I think as becoming very familiar with that experience in your life, what it what it comes from, and maybe even harnessing it to understand um, what's going on or why you're feeling that way would be good. So I want to talk about two different types of guilt and kind of categorize. So I love categorizing and helps me understand what the brain is trying to do. So let's talk about guilt in two different buckets, okay? One is healthy guilt, and that's a normal response to recognizing or rectifying genuine mistakes. And so this could be that you genuinely forgot that this person was coming to Christmas and you genuinely forgot that, you know, to buy a gift for them. And so they show up and everybody else has a gift but them. And then you find, you feel guilty. And so you go and you say, I'm sorry, I apologize. I didn't realize you were going to be here today. You know, whatever your the the way to rectify that is. And that guilt is helping us understand that we could be out of sync with our own personal value system, our own moral compass. And it can be an emotion that generates growth and learning. And so not all guilt is bad, right? So if I do something or say something that I I feel like is is not reflective of who I am, I want a signal from my body. I want a signal from my brain saying, wait a minute, turn around, go back, figure this situation out, you know, make it right. If I don't have a negative signal to do that, if my body is always just cheering me on that everything I've ever done in my life is 100% accurate and correct, I'm probably also not growing and learning about myself and doing better the next time. And so so we don't want to think of guilt as a negative emotion in and of itself. It's just a physical somatic signal. But I always want to dive a little bit deeper and understand where that's coming from. So healthy guilt is that normal response, right? That something has happened. And I'm sure you could come up with a couple of examples, even over the last couple of weeks of healthy guilt being me and I really shouldn't have done it that way. And now this isn't necessarily uh, malignant. This isn't you putting yourself in the corner, locking yourself in a closet, punishing yourself. This is just a realization. So what are the bumpers in my life? So what are some of the emotions that show up when I've, you know, strayed a little bit farther from my own personal value system? And that's what I would term healthy guilt. The next category of guilt I want to talk about, which is probably the more caustic one, is the idea of toxic or malignant guilt. And this is that persistent or disproportionate guilt that is is really reducing your quality of life and your well-being. And often it comes from irrational beliefs, like I should have been able to control that, but I didn't, or an exaggerated feeling of responsibility or self-blame for things that perhaps you didn't have control over or really aren't something that is kind of within your wheelhouse. And that toxic guilt, which tends to build on itself over time, and that story develops and becomes more and more rooted in our brain, that's the kind of guilt that can cause adverse health effects. So I can give you many examples of toxic guilt as a medical professional, just as part of practicing over a period of decades, you will have decisions that you made or things that you feel like you may have missed in the course of practicing standard of care medicine, it happens to everybody in the medical field. And there's some something they carry with them that if they could have that choice back, they could have that moment back, 
that they would do something differently. And when you read about clinician burnout, a lot of it does go back to the feeling of guilt. And that could be guilt that you're spread too thin and not spending enough time with those patients or not doing a thorough enough job. It could be that you're spending too much time at work and not enough time with your family. It, it, any number of things. But toxic or malignant guilt is not just that kind of gentle nudge from your body. Hey, hey, get back in line. Hey, hey, we're a little bit off of our value system. This is a, a, a more severe form that can cause a negative physiological and psychological effects. And so if that changes the way that you interact with your environment or with people around you, or it changes even your health because you're not uh, participating as much in life or making good decisions for your body, things like that. So think of that as that toxic guilt. And I have seen when we talk about aging parents, kind of that range of, and you've even heard it in the podcast. So you can go all the way from almost as healthy guilt. Hey, I think I'm doing enough, but I probably could do more all the way into toxic guilt. And that would be if if I don't uh, perform at this level or do this number of things, they're actually afraid of the guilt they will have once somebody passes away. Did they do enough? So they're in that phase proving to themselves or proving within their lives that they are enough, that they are doing enough, almost in a way to avoid what they would perceive as the onset of a toxic guilt once that person actually does pass away or go into a nursing home or, or whatever the situation is. So you've heard many, many instances of that throughout the podcast. So let's talk about what causes guilt. So if we think of guilt as just a gap, so here's what should have happened and here's what happened, or here's a decision I could have made at that moment. Maybe I could have avoided this, but but here's the reality. And so Going back to that healthy guilt, that does come from a violation of your personal value system. And that's very specific to you. And everybody has a different version of a value system. And some things that I might feel guilty for, I can guarantee you other people in my life would not feel guilty for. Or I see sometimes people talking about things that they uh, missed or, or, or mistakes that they made. And I think of them as minor and, and they feel a, a large guilt response. And so a lot of this has to do with sort of the volume of your personal values. So if it's extremely important to you that people have a large, well thought out and executed meal at Christmas, I'll give you an example, right? That is how you express love or caring for your family is through this large meal and the turkey burns in the oven. And then the guilt that can be felt from that, well, it was my responsibility to provide this large meal and I messed up. I let it go too long. Okay, that will never be me. I'm not a chef. I'm not a home cook. Thank God I'm married to one. So you can think about whatever is in your value system, however you like to show up in your life for yourself or for other people. And anything that is sort of out of sync with that, creating that violation of personal values. And that, again, it's all just signaling. The brain is just a massive machine of signaling and processing. And so it's processing what happened and signaling back to us. But again, it doesn't signal to us in, in emails. It signals back to us through emotions and experiences. And so, again, that's where you get those somatic experiences in your stomach, your throat, however however it is that you end up experiencing guilt. So that's when we're out of sync with our personal values. And the next one would be a little bit different. And that's when we feel out of sync with social expectations. And I've talked a lot about this as well, where there's a lot of predefined 
social expectations with regard to aging parents or how we should show up. Uh, and that can be from a specific culture, a specific region, a specific religion, or a combination of all of the above, or just very specific to how that family shows up and what their expectations are. And so I was online the other day on a Facebook group and somebody had actually started an entire coaching business just based on coaching people who from a specific cultural background whose parents had extremely high expectations of how things should go, including career, marriage, and care for aging parents. And so this is a social expectation are ever-present. And when we step out of line with social expectations, that's where it becomes very personal. Sometimes this has felt like a freedom step, like I'm indifferent. I don't care that people think this. I'm going to do what is my value system. Or the pressure can be so great or the mechanisms within the brain can be so tied into these social expectations that not only do you have the guilt of not meeting whatever the expectation was, but then you also have other emotions that come along with guilt. And these are t- terrible friends of guilt, which are shame, regret, resentment. <laughs> so it's like a, a bad party of emotions that get together and really can sit, sit on the brain and cause all sorts of disruption with your quality of life, your experience of life, and how you interact with other people. Because once you've experienced, especially in very strict religions or cultures, a violation of social expectations, that's such a difficult emotional experience on purpose. That's how a lot of these expectations are maintained. That's how they survive. And obviously, if you think of it from the 30,000-foot view, that's how these beliefs in these systems persist, because the stronger the punishment is for the violation of the social expectation, the more likely it is that people will stay in line and the social expectation will survive. Because obviously, when we tie an action to staying within the tribe, that's a very primitive part of the brain. Well, if I act like this, then I get to stay in the tribe. And if I don't act like this, I might be put out of the tribe and I might die. And this is a very, very primal interaction with other people. Now, obviously, there's lots of examples, probably even in your own life, where you've been able to step outside of social expectations or modify them or even reset them in some way. But for a large number of people, the whole experience of the holidays is an experience of social expectations, right? Who visits when, what kind of meals are served, what kind of presents are brought, what kind of deference is shown, what kind of um, songs are sung, whatever it is, there's all of these social expectations. Some of them could be very benign and easy to meet, and some of them can be impossible, absolutely impossible, and making the holidays very stressful for people. And so anyway, so causes of guilt, we talked about first, the violation of personal values. The next one could be violation of social expectations. And the third one, which is sort of related, but maybe a little bit different, is the setting of impossibly high standards for yourself or someone else or how something should go. And so again, we talk about guilt being a gap of what's happening and what should have happened or, you know, current state and desired state. So whatever that gap in, you can feel the guilt. But if you're the one controlling the desired state and then your current state, right? And the gap between those is because you're setting the desired state so incredibly high then you will always live in guilt. You will always live in the not enough. You will always live in an incomplete state. And those unrealistic standards themselves, just the setting, again, remember it's a a gap. It's 
different distance between here and where we want it to be. If you're the one setting that and there's unrealistic standards of how much time you have in a day or how much resources you have to expend, then congratulations, you get to live in that chronic state. And so part of the way that we're going to step some of this back, of course, we're going to reverse engineer from these causes of guilt. And so with those unrealistic standards related to aging parents, uh, you can hear it in a lot of the conversations we have. It's that it basically takes over their entire life and they're trying to control everything from medication management, compliance, fall risk prevention, quality of life, social life, everything about somebody else, but often to an unrealistic standard. And a lot of times what you'll hear are some of the negative experiences of caring for somebody who may have been a a demanding type personality in their lifetime is that they themselves have unrealistic standards. So it may not be my unrealistic standards. It may be the aging parent thinking, well, I shouldn't have to wait for this to happen. I shouldn't have to make my own doctor's appointments if somebody else is willing to make them for me. I don't know, just these probably aren't good examples, but but I've heard it at least three or four times in these interviews and these conversations of, hey, I'm trying my best, but the standards of that person are so un- unachievable and unrealistically high, I'm always living in this not enough, even if I'm giving every single ounce of what I have. And so unrealistic standards, whether your own or somebody that you're caring for, can help generate that guilt. And like I said, eventually that guilt brings friends of shame, resentment, anger, those types of things. So let's go back and use those three causes of guilt that we went over and talk about how may they how they may be transformed into some coping strategies or some ways to address guilt. So the first one we talked about was violating my personal value system and the guilt that comes from that. I would offer to you that maybe this isn't a guilt I want to get away from. This isn't something I want to solve. I think this is a positive influence in my life and it's a good signal for me. Now, I have to be careful that I don't take it too far. So if I made a mistake that I don't need to have this persist into weeks or months of perseverating on the mistake and dissecting the mistake, but guilt as an emotion, when I've done something that is not consistent with who I want to be or my value system, I don't want to solve for that. I think that that should be around. I think that's an emotion that I'm familiar with and I can use to be a good check and balance for myself. So I don't want to get to a point where I am hurting people or making mistakes or doing things that are outside of what I want to be. And then I just don't get any signal or experience that that alerts me to this. So maybe I could change out guilt for a lighter emotion. I don't know what that would be. Maybe you could send me an email if you have an idea, but but that's a very natural experience for me. I will tell you just on the other side of this healthy guilt is if the if the guilt experience is negative enough, then you have the antidote is people pleasing and so you're you're doing and saying things that you don't necessarily believe or want to be doing because you're attempting to people please somebody so that you don't feel guilty, which is manipulating them. (laughs) If you think about it from the 30,000 foot view, I'm going to lie to myself and to you so that I don't feel guilty, which is a very selfish thing to do. So people pleasing as selfless as it feels and looks when it's happening is the opposite of that. And so 
I have been working on for many years, developing a different level of guilt. And that's when I am not being honest with myself. If I don't really want to do something or I can't do something or I'm overextended or whatever it is, right? I don't want to just have the guilt of, oh my gosh, I'm going to let that person down. They're not going to like me or they're not going to like this decision. It's almost this forced (laughs) skill I'm developing of, I need to feel guilty for the things that I'm sacrificing to say yes to this. And the best way I heard it said on a podcast once was, I have to use my nose to protect my yes. And so if I just said yes to everything, it would be like, yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do that. Of course I could do this. Sure, I'll do that, right? And what's happening is I'm I'm not protecting all of the yeses. I have too many yeses that are commitments that are unfulfilled. And I want to use my nose to protect the yeses that mean a lot to me. And I'm the one that has to decide that and deal with whatever lack of people pleasing comes with that. And so that is something I feel like I have gotten better with. And again, I, I, I work on that by almost using that guilt emotion in a totally different context, which is truly asking myself, am I going to feel guilty about this for my own family, my own health, something like that. And not to get too personal here, but a lot of you that that know me personally understand I had a mega career change this past year, in part because of my interest in this topic and my want to do a podcast and a course and all sorts of design work related to aging in place, which has really been fulfilling. But I had a massive guilt complex over changing my career. And what eventually helped me was the guilt I was starting to feel of not realizing, not moving forward with things that I knew I truly wanted to do for myself, for my family, for my my life, things I wanted to produce. So you're listening to a podcast that was born out of almost a, a, a weird kind of healthy guilt, which was, I really think I want to put this out in the world. I really think I want to do this. If I hadn't really leverage the guilt I was feeling that I was missing out, that I wasn't making time to have these conversations with myself, with my family, with my audience, then I wouldn't be here right now. And so again, this is that understanding guilt in a different way and using it like a power, again, it's just a somatic signal, a physical signal from your body. And then in knowing and interpreting it and using it to move you in, in, in healthy directions. So so again, so back to the causes of guilt, violating my personal values, I am not going to try to solve for that, to eliminate it, to avoid it, because I actually need it, right? So the second cause of guilt that we talked about was the social expectations. And this is where I kind of, I'm going to go in the middle here. So I don't mind meeting social expectations that are easy to meet. And so if somebody says, I really want you to wear an ugly sweater to Christmas, it means a lot to me. It's a tradition we've done for 25 years. It started with my grandmother and she has since passed away. And it makes me feel great when people wear an ugly sweater to Christmas dinner, whatever, okay? It doesn't take any any effort from me to meet that social expectation. Okay, I wear something different, who cares? I like wearing ugly sweaters to Christmas stuff. It's not a big deal. So there's no guilt created there because there's no gap between the expectation that's set and then me meeting it. Now, social expectations can explode uncontrollably, catastrophically in in more important situations such as 
I expect you to move into my house and quit your job and take care of me for the rest of my days. And that expectation, which is either said or unsaid, but sometimes implied, at least culturally, can be really, really tough. And that's where you start to see that toxic guilt come in, which is that difficulty in reconciling my personal value system, the resources I have, my time, my attention, etc. And then what somebody else's expectation is of me. So remember, if guilt is just a gap, then there's two things I can do, right? There's the current state. So I can decide that the current state is good enough and my personal guilt can go away. That doesn't mean that that person has to behave as if this problem is solved, because for them it's not, but you can't control their experience. Or then you change the expectation. The quirky thing when we talk about social expectations, so this, you know, your personal value system is in your own head, you can control that, right? But the social expectations or social value systems that you're born into, the culture, the family-specific traditions, the, the religion, things like that, that one's a little bit more difficult. And that guilt that is coming from that expectation and then your current experience of it. And sometimes these expectations often grow throughout your lifetime. And so you'll see really heavy expectations around major transitions. And so one would be going to college. So is that person going to become employed or go to college or leave the home or stay in the home? And there's a lot of cultural traditions around that. And again, and going back to major life transitions, the next one is when or if they have children, getting married. And then, of course, as, as, as you get older, those career expectations. And then the last thing is going to become important, which is how that, that culture, society, or religion expects aging parents to be cared for or looked after. And I'm saying this from a totally neutral standpoint. I'm not I'm not coming at you saying you should or you shouldn't in any way, but I'm saying this ob- observationally that those expectations, which are kind of in the ether, can really hit home in the holidays because then you're physically in proximity to those expectations, discussions of those expectations, criticisms of those expectations. And nobody comes back from large holiday gatherings and is, oh my God, it looks like I'm appearing to meet all expectations of myself and my family at all times. That's unusual. That's probably not what's happening. And when you see people get stressed about the holidays, a lot of times it is, I'm going to be faced with these social expectations that I'm not meeting. Maybe I haven't had children yet, or I didn't finish college, or I didn't, whatever it is going to be. And I'm going to be reminded of this and now have a negative experience. And so when we talk about the guilt that comes from those social expectations, we have to first start with understanding that you cannot change those expectations, that that is not a goal, that should not be a goal because you can't. These are in the ether, right? So if you're a fish, this is the water and you are around it and in it. And you can set your own changes for your own children. That's something you can control. You can treat them differently. You can teach them differently. You can talk to them differently. But at this point, you are who you are and your family of origin is who your family of origin is or your social community is what it is. And this idea that I've got to come in and try to alter these expectations <laughs> is is not going to be a functional goal to help us address the guilt. So, Or I'm just going to hope that if I push back enough that these expectations will go away. And so what, in order, if we're trying to solve for the guilt that comes from that, 
then we only have a couple of different things we can do. So one is you can meet the expectation, right? Isn't it that easy? You just snap your fingers and then suddenly you have the marriage everybody wants you to have or the career everybody wants you to have or or whatever it is that's going on. But yeah, okay, that's not real, right? Maybe in a Christmas movie, but that's not real. The next thing is that you can do is love them anyway. And if you think about this relationship, you can determine this relationship. So they can be grossly disappointed, upset. They can feel themselves like they're not getting the the deal is going sour for them, that this isn't what they signed up for, or that they that I should have signed up for, or maybe a good daughter does this or a good son does this. You could decide to let them have those expectations and love them anyway, right? Which is what a lot of people end up doing. Or maybe you decide they can have all those expectations and I'm not going to be in proximity to that. And I know many, many people who don't interact with certain parts of their family because of this problem, that they've decided their personal value system is that they want to have a certain experience of the holidays and that maybe they just don't aren't next to these people. And I'm not knocking that either. Again, I'm I'm always trying to be the neutral observer here, the anthropologist looking at this from the outside. All of these are different options, right? But you're not going to change the expectations, but you can change your experience of guilt when you decide that you're living within your personal value system. So my value system is I show up for Christmas, even if I don't want to be there because that's my value system. And again, I'm neutral on this. I've heard equally legitimate value systems that argue against this, that they don't spend the holidays together. Doesn't matter, right? The idea is when you are congruent, you're within the lanes or the bumpers of your own value system and get rooted in there, then you become less permeable to all of the other social expectations around you. And that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when somebody feels like you've let them down or you're not meeting some expectation or some milestone or some timeline that the family might have. And specifically when it comes to aging parents, so whether you're doing too much or not enough or right, just right, that can be very difficult to ascertain. But when we talk about social expectations, then we're going to have to go down to the micro level and control what we can control and be confident in those personal value systems that are operating. And then last but not least, we've kind of already touched on this, the guilt that comes from your own unrealistic standards. Well, you're just going to have to be honest and reevaluate what's possible within your zero-sum time, resources, attention, etc. So I can refer you back to the podcast on the zero-sum game. I think it's back somewhere in the 20s. And that's a long discussion of first starting with recognizing your limitations and then setting the standards from there. And I don't mean trying to dumb down your standards based on what your experience is. I just mean there's only 24 hours in a day. And so if you continue to accept demands that take 28 hours in a day, then that is a problem with your standards, not a problem with how time works. And again, I'm probably talking to myself more than anybody else on this podcast. So anyway, so we talked about some some types of guilt, healthy guilt and toxic guilt, some of the causes of guilt. So personal value systems, social expectations, unrealistic standards, some of the other coping strategies that you can have if you're dealing with a lot of guilt around the holidays. One would be communication. 
where possible with yourself or your family, your spouse, your your aging parent, your loved one, open and honest communication about how you're feeling and experiencing it. I can't tell you how many times this has helped me when I'm just wrecking my brain with something that I feel like I shouldn't have should, should or shouldn't have done or misinterpreting an email or a text message and then going back and clarifying you know, here's what I'm experiencing this as, or here's what I think you meant when you said this, you know, am I correct on this? And I think that lack of communication or sort of that that void of really second guessing it and leaving it to my own brain to interpret, sometimes that's not a good place to be. So communication is one really good coping strategy for 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 guilt. And I've used this sometimes and I've decided not to do something that I think is is important, but I just can't do it. Like you can just move forward and and get past some of these emotions if you have, have more communication. Now, there's always a chance that you reach out and you say, hey, I feel like I didn't meet your expectations, feeling really guilty about this. And another person confirms that, like, you're correct. <laughs> you didn't meet my expectations. So, you know, it does go both ways. So you have to be kind of careful. The other one is forgiveness. And I obviously, this is a great blanket to have for almost anything that you're going through, but forgiving yourself, forgiving others. Everybody's valuable. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has belief systems that can drive other people crazy. And and using forgiveness liberally, for yourself included, is really one of the antidotes or coping strategies to, to guilt as you're coming out of any specific situation. The next one is is that is the what's next, right? So that's that learning and growing. And, and moving forward. And so I always talk to my kids when they are freaking out about something or feeling upset or guilty about something is I say, you know, experience the emotion, but the sooner you move into growth or problem solving, the better. And that is always just a reminder that we can have those emotions. We don't have to kick, resist the emotion itself. I mean, it's like that beach ball underwater you think you're resisting the emotion, it's going to surface at some point. And so this idea that you're frantically holding this ever increasingly large beach ball under the surface, trying to make sure it stays there and you don't experience it, that's not helpful either. And so allowing that emotion to surface and naming it, describing it, what it feels like in your body, recognizing it, meeting it where it is, that's all possible. To me, it always comes back to the duration of time that we're going to continue to do that. And and it might be different by different, you know, different situations. But when my kids lose something, like my son lost his Nintendo Switch in our trip this past week, <laughs> his face was crestfallen and red and immediate tears to his eyes when he realized he left it on the plane. And I can't stop that. That's the beach ball, Right. And the immediate guilt that I know he felt because this was not the first time he lost an electronic device on a trip and allowing that surge, right? And then kind of breathing through it and talking and reminding that we're going to get into growth. What did we learn? And problem solving, what do we do next? And always knowing that that's always has to be the next step. Eventually, it could happen five minutes later or five months later. But eventually on this topic, we're going to have to let the beach ball surface, let process this, and then move as quickly and efficiently over into growth, learning, and problem solving. Then that will help us because once we start engaging our brain in a different way, 
So we're beating ourselves up, right? So you lose the electronic device and you can't believe it and you don't know how it happened and et cetera. And then kind of moving into, well, whose fault is it? Well, maybe it's my fault. And when's the last time I saw it? Whatever. Okay. All of these issues that come up, but then knowing and training your brain that as soon as we're done with this, we're going to move into problem solving and lessons learned. So once he went through the beach ball, right, and went through the emotions and we moved into problem solving, well, what would you do next? And so we're able to take what is a really negative experience for the whole family when somebody has a meltdown about an electronic device and try to take some lessons learned and say, okay, well, next time we need to triple check everything before we leave the plane. What do you think I would do next? And we talked about how to contact the airline, how to look it up. The email that you have to send that says where you where you were. He helped me describe the the device and where he was sitting, everything like that, and submit the email. And then you're now in firmly into problem solving. Now, as of the recording of this episode, they have not found the Nintendo Switch, but he is persisting in his problem solving and asking every day to check on the link to see if there's an update. But as you and I both know, it's been a couple of weeks, so it's probably not going to get found. Anyway, so that is an example of that moving quickly into learning, growing, and problem solving as soon as you can once you're, you've gone through that emotion. Now, there are things that you can't necessarily problem solve, right? So if there's a death in the family and you have the bullet, you know, the beach ball is a huge beach ball and it surfaces and it's going to be around for a long time. You know, you're not going to force your brain to move into problem solving quickly. There isn't a lot of problem solving for that. But as I read once in a description of of a reaction to grief, eventually you get up and go to the bathroom, which I know sounds kind of gross. But like this idea is, well, what happens? What happens? What's ha- what happens? Well, eventually you eat something and eventually you get up and go to the bathroom and eventually you get in a car and eventually you call somebody. And so the the brain and the body will will keep persisting, but you will have that beach ball there with you as long as you're processing that. And so again, that doesn't apply to all situations that you go straight into problem solving, but eventually you move on. I want to also just mention, make sure that we we are aware of the role of mental health professionals. A lot of times these beach balls, the guilt, whatever it is, isn't something you can think your way out of. And this bootstrapping emotional management, which I think is really, really common right now and and can be important for mild to moderate issues, probably should not be applied to more severe issues where you're having trouble sleeping, trouble functioning, trouble going to work, extreme disruption in your relationships, extreme disruptions in your health. And just like anything else in your body, having a medical professional, and in this case, a mental health professional, aid you to move past it can be really important. So please don't dismiss the important role that they could have. I know they can be hard to find in some communities and affordability can be an issue at times, but if it's something that you need and is available to you, please do seek that out as well. So I hope this was helpful. I plan to do a couple of more. Like I said, I want to do a podcast on resentment. I think that's going to be really interesting and anger, those types of things. So (laughs) that's all these like fun things bumping around in my head around the holiday season. But as I've always expressed, I always want this to be a real conversation and help us get through the, the difficult things. I promise there are positive topics from time to time too. But 
Anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. I appreciate you being a listener. If you could, please, please head over and leave a written review for my podcast that will help the rankings of my podcast, which means more people will see it. Well, the way the algorithms are these days, if there's no likes or comments recently, then they will deprioritize it in the searches for podcasts and people won't be able to find it. So please, 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 if you could hop over there and leave a message and uh, share the podcast, I would really appreciate it. All right, guys, I will see you next year. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone, it's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to take just a moment to review the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational and occasional entertainment purposes only. Nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. By listening to the podcast, we are not creating a patient-doctor relationship between you and myself or any of the guests. Really, it's just me and a possible guest or two, sometimes three, sitting around talking about difficult topics related to aging parents. If you have or suspect that you might have a medical problem or condition, you should seek advice from a licensed medical professional. If you have any questions or concerns, please read the full disclaimer in the show notes or contact me directly. Thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.